Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB, aka Danielle Bezalow. Let's get into it. Buzz, buzz. Is that a vibrator I hear? Nope, that's Millie. And if you've ever had painful intercourse, then this vaginal dilator may be just what you're looking for. Millie is an easy to use, 100% BPA-free silicone dilator with optional, gentle vibration and user-controlled in-vagina expansion. Millie enables you to gradually increase size without having to deal with the sometimes awkward and painful stages in between dilator sizes. Millie has a range of 14 to 40 millimeters and expands one millimeter at a time. That's like having 26 standalone dilators. And in the spirit of Marie Kondo, no one needs that many dilators. Learn more about Millie at milliemedical.com. Welcome to episode five of the podcast. Today, we're talking about consent with Jacqueline Friedman and Daniel Saint. Jacqueline is a writer, educator, activist, and creator of four books, including her latest, Unscrewed, Women, Sex, Power, and How to Stop Letting the System Screw Us All. Daniel is the chief conspirator of the movement brand New Society for Wellness, aka NSFW, a members-only club and a creative agency for sexual wellness and cannabis brands. Here I am with Jacqueline. So Jacqueline, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Happy to be here. Amazing. Um, We'll just get started by you telling us your name, um, a little bit about your background and how you identify and uh, whatever title you want to kind of share. Oh, gosh. That's a lot of quiz. Um, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> My name's Jacqueline Friedman. I, I mean... When you mean background, you mean my professional background, my personal background? I, it seems like a deep question to me. Yeah, you can take it as a deep question. You want, if you want to talk about kind of your, your background about, you know, your profession and how you got to be a writer and all the other amazing things that you do, um, as well as maybe, yeah, just like a little bit about where you grew up, whatever sounds good. Oh, all right. I grew up in, in suburban New Jersey. I grew up on the Jersey Shore, but not at all what you're picturing if you've not a snooky situation no it was actually very sort of preppy and stifling okay uh, so i'm not singing it's un all you know it's, it's unmitigated praises but it's just not what you're picturing right um yeah and then i went to school in connecticut and i followed a girl to boston afterwards and mm-hmm. uh and that is where i've been rooted ever since Amazing. And uh, what do you do? What's your kind of professional uh, shtick? I like to call myself these days an itinerant feminist troublemaker. Love it. <laughs> um, Tell me more. I, uh, I've written a number of books. I have a new book coming out in January, which is an anthology where I've teamed back up with Jessica Valenti, with whom I edited the anthology Yes Means Yes 10 years ago. And we have a brand new anthology coming out in January called Believe Me, How Trusting Women Can Change the World, which will be all about uh, how the world would literally transform if we just believed and took seriously women about the ways we are made to suffer. Wow. Incredible. Um, amazing. So can you walk us through your, your book, Yes Means Yes, and kind of any evolutions in thinking since publishing it because it, it came out uh, 10 years ago, as you said? Yeah, we just had the, the reissue came out this 
year for the 10-year anniversary with the new introduction and, well, and all congratulations. of Congratulations. Thank you. It's not every day you get a reissue on a book, that's for sure. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Uh, so I've definitely been thinking about it this year. You know, Yes Means Yes originally grew out of conversations that were happening quite organically in the feminist blogosphere, uh, which is maybe not something that your younger listeners know about, uh, or maybe sounds like the olden days, but in the, in the mid-2000s was really the way we had robust conversations about that. You know, it, it mostly happens now on social media, but there wasn't Twitter or Facebook. There were blogs, and, and to be more specific, the comment sections of blogs were just overflowing with smart people debating ideas. And, and so one of the things that happened was we collectively, I don't know who did it first, resurfaced the idea of affirmative, back then we called it enthusiastic consent, which had originally uh, been coined by some students at Antioch College in the early 90s uh, and was proposed as policy at Antioch uh, and immediately sort of was made fun of as, as laughable. In fact, was mocked on Saturday Night Live and wow. sort of laughed off the national stage and then gone down the memory hole for most of that decade until the feminist blogosphere resurfaced and started saying, hey... You know, this is a way to reframe the way we talk about sex and sexuality and sexual violence in a way that connects the dots and doesn't blame victims, doesn't put it on women to, you know, make sure we don't get ourselves raped. Um, most specifically, the way the book came about was it was 2007. Uh, the website Women's E News, which is a feminist news outlet, ran an article. Uh, this was probably late 2016, not 2016, 2006. Oh, my God, I'm so old. Um, <laughs> no, you're not. And uh, time is a flat circle. Uh, and the article was called something like Young Women Sidle Up to Barroom Risks. And it was all about how women are getting lured in to bars by ladies' night deals and getting themselves raped. And in no point oh, did rapists. Right, and it's not like we had never heard this before, but uh, it was at a feminist publication, and it just felt like a bridge too far. Uh, and so, it sort of created this giant argument on a listserv that I ran at the time for the organization I founded called Women Action in the Media, and the sort of new guard. I don't want to make it entirely generational. It was. Largely generational, but not exclusively generational. But there was, you know, there was a group of women who were saying, well, we do need to tell women to be careful. It's scary out there. And there was a group of women saying, like, we are so tired of this bullshit. Right. Right. Um, And because I was a moderator of that listserv, I was was not personally neutral, but I did not get involved in the conversation because I needed to call balls and strikes in terms of who was out of line in how the conversation was happening. Uh, and what the reason I mention that is because the editor in chief of Women's E News, Rita Henley Johnson, who has since passed on, uh, RIP, but uh, called me up and assumed that I was on her side. Uh, she just sort of projected that onto me, and we wound up having this uh, terribly heated argument for about twenty minutes. The end of which was, she said, "Well, will you write something for me? Will you write a rebuttal?" And I said, "Sure." And I wrote a piece. She think ran under the title "Drinking and Rape." Let's wise up about it, uh, which was about like how do we talk about women and alcohol and sexual violence without 
blaming the victim. Mm-hmm. And it went the 2007 version of viral. It got reprinted and discussed in a lot of places. And that was the piece that sort of inspired our publisher to reach out to us about, uh, well, just reach out to me about Yes Means Yes. That's the sort of in, the inciting incident. Yeah, that's incredible. That's congrats on like that going viral and people reading your work. Yeah, I mean, it was really, I had been an anti-rape activist for over a decade at that point, but I hadn't really talked about it online yet. I mean, online discourse was still developing. I had mostly done, you know, hotline work and self-defense and, you know, to speak out. And, you know, I'd, I'd done a lot of work on sexual violence, but I hadn't taken it online. And it was really eye-opening uh, in a lot of ways to, to right. start taking that conversation that I've been having in really specific places to a much more chaotic environment. Totally. Yeah. What a different kind of sphere to be discussing those things. It was so different. There were people who, I mean, this is going to sound so naive now, but we didn't know. We didn't know back then. There were people who literally showed up in the comments sections of some of the places that reprinted it and said, Jacqueline Friedman is lying. I read the police report, and it said this, and she says the other thing. And there was literally no police report about my own experience of sexual violence on campus, which I mentioned in the article. The article wasn't about me. I used it as sort of a framing device as a way in, right? And Mm -hmm. people were just, like, outright lying. Like, not, like, twisting the truth, but just making shit up. And that was really upsetting to me because I just never had anticipated it. Oh, for sure. Now, and then at that point, know, it's like, say, a, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just like, all right, just shut the fuck up. Like, I have no time for you. Um, yes. But regardless, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to have people spouting lies about you. Well, especially about one of the most painful and impactful experiences of my life. Right. You know, that idea that someone else could say something about my experience of sexual violence and then it just sits there and stays on the internet forever was like Mm -hmm. not something there's literally nothing I could do to make it go away right I had never thought of it it was really really upsetting to me Jacqueline isn't the first person who's been accused of lying about her sexual assault experience but let's get the facts straight shall we According to Stanford University, only about 2% of all rape and related sexual assault charges are determined to be false. The same percentage as for other felonies reported to the FBI. Also, we gotta talk about underreporting. Rain tells us that only 23% of sexual assaults are reported to the police. That means about three of every four go unreported. But as we know, just because someone does not report their crime does not mean it didn't happen. After the uh, allegations against sure, Steve, yes. I'm sorry, uh-huh. um, yeah, like came out in early 2018. So you wrote an article published in Vox um, titled, I'm a sexual consent educator. Here's what's missing in the Aziz Ansari conversation. Um, and it's such a good article. And when it first came out, I had, it's funny because I read it when it first came out and was like, and then when we realized that we were interviewing you for the podcast I was like oh my god that's that's her that's so cool like that you wrote this article that was so it was everywhere when it when it came out um and if you have it, it, yeah, it really went viral, viral. Yeah. yeah which is incredible and and for those of you who are listening um if you haven't read the article please go read it but in it uh Jacqueline you discuss female sexual pleasure 
and the importance of pleasure-centered sex ed and consent education. Um, could you speak more about this and how it relates to the Aziz Ansari case and possibly, probably, many, many other cases like this? Oh, it relates to everybody's life. I mean, literally right. everybody's. Yeah, I mean, when we look at the Aziz Ansari case, we see a guy who was in no way concerned with whether his partner was having a good time. Right? Mm-hmm. That's a thing I would hope every last person can agree with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. He he was utterly unconcerned with whether or not she was enjoying herself. And honestly, that's dehumanizing, right? He was interested in her in as much as she was useful to him and his pleasure. He was instrumentalizing her. Uh, that is, in my book, sexual assault. It, it may not be the, in the law of the land in New York where this happened, but mm-hmm. it violates every premise of affirmative consent, which is about each of us having a responsibility to our partner to make sure not just that they're not objecting, which I will point out, she did object. People mm-hmm. lose track of that. She actually said no several times. Right. Um, but not just not objecting, but like, we have to make sure our partners are actively having a good time because it's not fun for everybody. It's not fun for anybody, right? It's exactly. not okay. Otherwise, it's insurmountable power imbalance, and one person is being dehumanized toward the pleasure of the other, and that's violent. Right. Uh, and, and it's just incredibly straightforward. Uh, it, it really says, that, like, if you cannot show up for your partner in, in the basic level of seeing them as a co-equal human being you're not in a space where you can have partnered sex, mm-hmm. uh, period. Uh, but we, we don't have that. And, and one of the reasons that it was so hard, I think, for so many people, to, and we heard echoes of this, so many people were like, well, if that's rape, then I, everybody's been raped or everybody's, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and, I, and they meant that as a way of dismissing the claim that it was sexual assault. Totally. Uh, and I, I, I just was like, you're so close to getting it. Yes. <laughs> uh, and the, thing, the, connect, the dot that I connected is that we don't teach about sexual pleasure. And that doesn't hurt cis men, right, especially straight cis men, because the idea of men's sexual pleasure is literally everywhere in the culture. Right. <laughs> the right. Men, that sex is supposed to be something for men that men pursue for their own reasons. Right? Oh, of course. For their literally own every. Every movie we've ever seen is literally just, like, a man having sex with a woman and him coming and then rolling off of her and going to sleep. Like, that is literally the script of every movie. So we don't talk about pleasure in sex ed. Men men don't really lose out. (laughs) But women and girls and, and queer people, people of marginalized sexual identities, are taught that our pleasure doesn't matter. And cis men are taught that our pleasure doesn't matter, right? (laughs) That Mm -hmm. if if we never talk about female sexual pleasure, the culture is never going to think that is a legitimate thing to be concerned with. Right. Um, And the men we fuck are never going to think that either. (laughs) Correct. Uh, (laughs) Let's let's be real. And so, and that leads to so many things, so that when, when... like the girl, the woman in the Aziz Ansari story, like you're you're encountering someone that who, by the way, 
put himself out there as like a woke relationship expert, right? Where it's not just some rando celebrity. Right. He's selling himself as a relationship expert. Um, and he just did not see that it mattered whether or not she was having a good time. He did not care. And so people can argue about whether that's sexual assault. I feel clear about how I, how I see that. But even folks who don't see it as sexual assault, again, I'd be happy to argue with those people. But <laughs> I think that should be troubled by the fact that he instrumentalized her as profoundly dehumanizing. Totally. Yeah. And I, and you're totally right. You know, like I, I really did love the book, uh, modern romance. Um, oh, did you read it? I hadn't ever read it. I did read it and I really liked it. And I, before all of like the scandal with him happened, was just like, Oh, this book is so good. And you know, it's not just him. He, he has a co-writer and they do like a lot of like scientific kind of like studies and stuff about relationships and it's really good and you have such a good point though that like you can't market yourself as a relationship expert and come out with this book and like be this person if like number one you don't even apologize to the person after the fact and number two it's coming up in the first place and I'm sure that there's a whole thing I was talking to my partner about this about like why people don't say like I'm sorry and I wonder if it's a legal thing if like you you claim fault then like people can sue you like do you know anything about that I mean, it's possible that they're getting legal advice to that effect, but when people tell me about all about why men who've been called out for being sexually harassing or violent toward women don't apologize, I point them to Dan Harmon. Did you see or hear the Dan Harmon apology? I did not. Who is that? Okay, so Dan Harmon is best known as uh, the creator of the TV show Community, Okay. He also has, uh, I think he's also the creator of Rick and Morty, which is a show I don't watch. Oh, um, okay. And uh, so when he was writing Community, which was like a big comedy on NBC uh, a few years ago, like you know, he had a lot of power. And he had, there was a writer, a female writer on his staff who he decided he was obsessed with, even though he was married. Uh, and he sexually harassed her. He basically like kept trying to get her to want to be with him. And then when she finally like point blank said, stop it, he retaliated and she went up leaving the show. And when me too started happening, she said something and he gave a real apology and like an accounting of what went down and why it was wrong and what amends he is making. And, you know, like in how he's trying, how he's working on changing. He, he just went in and he was like, you you are right. This was wrong. Here's mm-hmm. what was happening for me. And he even at some point says, I was failing to see you as human, right? Which is actually what's happening in all of these instances. Wow. Um, and, I just am like, you want to know? Because I think that narrative gets really stale. Like, oh, feminists won't be happy with any apology from a man. Like, nothing we do to make amends is adequate, right? But you didn't hear the Dan Harmon story blow up. You know why? Because he just came the fuck out and apologized. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And she was like, okay, actually, I accept your apology. Right. right. Like, that's how we that. like literally make like steps to move on. And obviously each person is different. Like that person yeah. didn't have to accept his apology at all. She didn't have to accept his apology and he didn't sexually assault her. It was sexually harassment. He never laid hands on her. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, there are different levels, you know, it might be 
more of a challenge or a not appealing for someone who is sexually physically violated to, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, it only gets worse when you dig your fucking heels in or when you issue some mealy mouth, like, I regret that anybody was hurt. Yeah. By a thing that might have happened in my vicinity. <laughs> Unclear. You know, oh, my God. Passive voice construction that, you know, like, people were hurt, but, like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> like, right. It's so unhelpful. It is not the only option. So if anyone, you know, is like, oh, well, nothing they say will be enough, like, just go check out Dan. Just Google Dan Harmon Me Too Apology. You will find it. I think This American Life actually did a story on it last month oh, or the month before. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That's great. It and is so possible. Yeah, and this kind of takes us to our next question, which is, like, how do we begin to make changes regarding consent and sexual pleasure in our personal lives and society as a whole? How do we, like, begin to kind of, like, do prevention work in this way um, and and make sure that people are are practicing consent and having equal amounts of pleasure um, in our lives? I mean... That is a tough and complex question. Yeah. One of the most simple, though difficult, answers to it is we need to have comprehensive, pleasure-affirming, science-based sex ed in our public schools every year, age-appropriate, K through 12. Uh, that yeah. is hard to do in the current political environment, but the good news is that most states... Uh, literally don't regulate it at all, and it's school board by school board. So it's possible that listeners, if you're in the U.S., literally can get something done in your own community by just starting to ask questions like, what is sex ed in on this school district? Mm-hmm. Who made it that way? How can we make a change? Oh, that school board member is against it? What if we replace them in the next election? A lot of sex ed gets decided at the hyper-local level, and, and we can all make a difference at that level at and I really think that if we change the way we taught sex ed, that we could change the values of an entire generation. Oh, absolutely uh, agree. So I, I can't stress enough, if you care about this issue, get involved in your local community on sex ed. Uh, but that still leaves, like, adults who aren't even through Right. Here we are. We're already messed up and internalized all kinds of stuff, right? (laughs) It's too late. Um, No, it's never too late. It's never too late. I really encourage folks to do some real thinking about how they approach sex Mm -hmm. and what sex is for for them, what they don't want out of sex, you know, and think about how they want to be treated and, and also what their partner's rights and responsibilities are. And then I think this is the hardest thing for women, for queer people, for for marginalized sexuality folks. That was a bad construction, but you know who I mean. I get you. Um, uh, That we have to, like, not accept less. Mm. And that's not putting blame on us because, like, we've been raised and taught to accept less our whole fucking lives, and when we stop accepting less, the, the pickings get really slim. Mm-hmm. But I do think that if you are feeling helpless, that this is a thing that you can do, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. it's not your fault, it's not your obligation. But I really want to like encourage you to like raise your standards and be like, 
oh, I'm just not going to fuck people or let people near my body in general as much as I have control over that who don't see me as a co-equal human. It mm-hmm. should be an excruciatingly low bar. Right? Like, I'm not demanding that they be superb in bed or, you know, like whatever, like that they see me as a co-equal human. At the very least, I want you to know that's what you deserve. Mm-hmm. It can be very hard and very lonely. Um, totally. I think that we need to de-stig- like continue to destigmatize casual sex for women, mm. not because every woman is going to want casual sex their whole life, but because I think that when we can be sexually fulfilled without committing to anyone, we can be choosier about the people we commit to. Right. And it's interesting because the amount, in terms of especially hitting on this like casual sex for women thing, like I have, I'm currently in a monogamous partnership, but prior to that, you know, in my early 20s in college when I was, like, hooking up with a bunch of cis dudes, like, there were very few sexual experiences that I had that I felt like they really did, like, care about my pleasure and more so that they would rather hold my head or my hand and push it where they thought that it should go rather than speak any words. And that to me is so problematic because it's all tied up in consent. It's all tied up in not respecting who you're, who you're sleeping with and who you're, you know, who you're literally naked with in this bed. It's like one of the most vulnerable like things that you can do with someone else. And yeah, and, it, yeah. and I want to be clear, like I encourage you, not you personally, but anyone in that situation to literally stop and put your clothes on and go home. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Sleep with everybody. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just I saying. Mean, and more, I, get, yeah. Get in, yeah. Just be like, oh, you are an asshole. It turns out I don't need to spend any more time with you. I'm going to go find somebody who's not. And I, oh, I feel like that. there must be a tipping point if enough of us did that. <laughs> like the walkout. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, there were, t- there were def- it's, it's such a like gray thing, you know, because sometimes you would mention it and be like, Hey, I don't like that. And they'd be like, okay, sorry. And then maybe it would be fine. But then there are other times where people would be like, Oh, what the fuck do you mean? And you know, it really depends on the situation, but I, but absolutely. I think you're actually raising a, a great issue, which is always, always, Set low-level boundaries. If you're thinking about being sexual with somebody or trying to figure out if you can trust them, I would always set low-level boundaries with them, like if they leaned in for a first kiss even, right? Mm -hmm. Even if I wanted to kiss them, I'm also monogamous for like eight years now, so that's why Mm -hmm. I'm talking in the past tense at the moment. But (laughs) uh, uh, to say no at, at that level before anything's happened and... See how they respond. It was one of my favorite tricks, right? Oh, yeah. And if they immediately back off, then I might, like, go in for a smooch, right? Like, and be like, all right, Right. cool, right? Like, I feel fully confident saying you can can have a test. Like, you can test them. Can they handle your boundaries? Are they going to listen to your boundaries? Find out if you can before you're naked. Right, totally. And there's there's a lot of power in, in saying, you know, like, hey, can I kiss you? Hey, can I touch you here? Hey, also, does it feel good? Also, sexy as hell. Yes, it is. People try to tell me it's not sexy, and I just think they have the saddest imaginations and are probably terrible <laughs> in bed. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's sexy, and it's like it feels really good to know that the other person cares and is listening. 
Yeah. I would they're also simultaneously expressing desire for you, which is like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm always here for that. Totally. Yeah. And that, that kind of brings us to our next point, which is like, this is all about communication, right? And what, what like tips do you have for fostering healthy communication in a hookup or a relationship, um, particularly in bed, um, kind of other than maybe the ones that we, we've already discussed? Sure. I have a bunch of tips, and I should be slightly self-promotional here and say one of my books, What You Really, Really Want, uh, has a lot of this advice in it and has workshop like, uh, exercises, mm-hmm. uh, and it really is about like how to figure out what you want from sex and navigate the crap sexual culture we've been handed mm-hmm. uh, in a way that's going to maximize your odds of being safe and satisfied. Uh, the subtitle is something like The Smart Girl Shame-Free Guide to Sex and Safety. And uh, so I want, if people like this stuff, that is where you can go find it. Amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, which I wrote because literally after Yes Means Yes, I was hearing from all these women who were saying, I love the idea of affirmative consent, uh, but how do you figure out what you want to say yes or no to? Mm-hmm. And I realized yeah. that I was like, I can answer that question, but I can't do it in five minutes at Q&A. Um, <laughs> so I need a book. Uh, exactly. So here are some ideas. One thing that I, I recommend is called the nice person test. So mm. say you're at a party and you're dancing with someone and they're like dancing up on you and you don't feel comfortable. Like, Assume they're a nice person. Put yourself in their shoes. Anytime you're stressed about setting a boundary, put yourself in that person's shoes. How would you feel if you found out the next day that you were dancing with someone the whole night and you were dancing too close to them and it made them uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. If you're a nice person, it would make you feel like crap, right? You'd feel awful and you'd wish they had told you. So think about setting a boundary with someone when you, when you have this need as paying them a compliment, right? As saying, I, tr- I trust that you actually want to know this. Mm-hmm. and share it in that spirit. Oh, hey, I'm having a fun time dancing with you. Can you take a step back? Or however those words come out of your mouth. None of these are scripts. Everybody talks differently. Honestly, right. moment, I probably would not say that exact sentence. You know, that sounds maybe a little formal. But it, that basic idea is what you want to convey. Mm-hmm. And if they listen to you, you're good. Right? <laughs> and if they don't, they're not a nice person. Right? You learn something. Every time you set a boundary, you get information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I really want to encourage people not to think of themselves as we've been trained you as women to think of ourselves as like uh, being high maintenance or like too much or too demanding because we have a boundary we want to set. But actually think of people, think of it as paying somebody a compliment. Mm-hmm. Another trick that I like to advise is to boost your confidence um, by doing something in advance that you makes you feel really confident. So there's a, some social research that shows that if you do something that you feel really good about, it actually makes you more confident for things that make you nervous. So say you know that you're going to see somebody that you kind of into, and you know you maybe don't want to see if they're into you too, like that's terrifying. Or on the flip side, you're going to need to see somebody and be like, hey you know that experience we had last night? I super never want to have it again or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That you need to communicate about. Um, Do something before, right beforehand that gets you feeling like, I am the fucking goat. (laughs) And it doesn't matter what that thing is. It could be math or sports or baking a pie, right? It could be anything. It's just Mm -hmm. something that makes you feel really confident. Another thing that I really encourage folks to do is 
just use your normal communication styles. You know, people get so hung up on the idea of there being one way to do it. But, like, if you're blunt, be blunt. If you're funny, be funny. It's okay to laugh around and during sex. Sex is weird. Um, it's fine to take it slightly less seriously in that way. It can mm-hmm. kind of break the tension. If you like to navigate everything in advance over email, you can't do that with all sexual communication, but you can do it with some things, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's talk about STI protections. Let's talk about hard and soft limits. You know, you can do a lot of stuff in advance over email. So just think about the way you generally like to communicate and do that as much as you can. Like, there's not, like, one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the, the last thing else that I, that I will say, because I feel like I'm rambling a little now. But, uh, no, no, is, not at all. Uh, do it anyway. Like, mm. nobody dies of awkward. <laughs> and oh, I love that. You, just be awkward. Just Say the thing you need to say. Sometimes I do a thing that I like to call telling on myself. So if I'm trying to say something to somebody, maybe it's, I really want to fuck you. Maybe it's, I really never want to fuck you again. Again, it could be whatever is making you nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't get the words out. I say, I really need to talk to you about something, and I'm so nervous I can't get the words out. Like, I literally just say that meta level. Right. Just communicating what's going on for you can be really powerful. And if they're a decent human being, they will help you say the thing, and they will be kind to you about it. They may not give you the answer you want. So you may be like, I really want a bone, and they may be like, oh, I don't see you that way. But they'll know it was really hard for you to say and be careful with you, right? Mm -hmm. And if they don't do those two things, help you say the thing and be careful with you, you, they just told you they're an asshole, right? Which, again, is good information to have. Right. But in general, like... No one dies of being awkward. Like, it's going to, especially if you're not practiced at it, and many of us aren't because we don't have adequate or, in some cases, any sex ed. We don't see this kind of sexual communication modeled very much in our TV and movies and video games. You know, we we don't have a culture that values and teaches this stuff, so it's going to feel weird and awkward, right? Mm -hmm. And especially when you're new. But also sometimes, like, I don't know about you, but... Sometimes I still, when I'm talking to my partner, it feels weird and awkward. Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And just know, like, everybody feels weird and awkward and know that it's better to say the thing anyway. Like, literally just be like, okay, I'm just going to be awkward. You could even say that, like, ah, I feel really awkward, but I have to talk to you about this, right? Like, Mm -hmm. own it. And because the opposite, the alternative that you have is best case scenario, what I like to call it just happened sex. Uh, which is like, oh, I don't know, we were out dancing and whatever, and it just happens. Mm-hmm. And even if nobody's been violated during it just happened sex, which is can happen if neither of one of you is acknowledging and taking responsibility for the fact that you're being sexual with each other, you're definitely mm-hmm. not showing up and ensuring you have affirmative consent from each other. Right. But even if nobody is violated, like, it just happens sex is terrible sex, right? Mm-hmm. You're not communicating about what you want. You're not really thinking about what you want because you're, like, trying to pretend it's not happening. Uh, it's just happening, right? Like, uh, and life's too short for shitty sex. I think we have so much cultural emphasis on quantity sex, like, did you have sex? When did you have sex? Can you have more sex? And not, we don't right. talk nearly as much about quality sex. Like, mm-hmm. if a friend of mine is like, oh, I hooked up with so-and-so, I always make sure my 
that my first thing I say isn't like, oh, amazing, woo, it's how was it? Yes, totally. Right? But the fact of sex is not an accomplishment. It's just mm-hmm. not. Like, most people have sex at some point in their lives. Like, it's pretty common. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, like, it's not like any giant accomplishment. It may feel like that to you on a personal level, but, like, in a, in the big picture, like, okay, uh the question is, like, how did you feel about it? How did they feel about it? Was it satisfying? Was it safe? Was it sexy? Did it meet both of your needs? Like, those are the questions we should be asking. And you can only make sure those things are addressed if you're communicating. So, you know, I, I, like I said, I can, there's more tips and tricks in the book and all of that. But, like, ultimately, it's, it's actually about getting comfortable with feeling awkward and just going ahead and doing the thing anyway. Totally. Yes. Um, amazing. So we have one last question for you, okay. which is your most recent book, which is titled Unscrewed, Women, Sex, Power, and How to Stop Letting the System Screw Us All, came out in yeah, 2015. Yes. <laughs> um, and could you tell us a little bit about uh, what this book is about and where kind of you're headed next? Yeah. So Unscrewed is about an idea that I call faux powerment, which is this idea that we can individually overcome all of the ways that we are sexually oppressed by institutions and structures, right? That Mm -hmm. we can buy the right lipstick or watch the right TV show or take the right pole dancing class or boudoir shoot, and we will be sexually free. When in Mm -hmm. fact, those can all be great things to do. You may like doing them, and I'm for them if you do. But none of them are going to overcome the very real systems and institutions that keep us sexually oppressed. Uh, and so it's about shifting from that individually. Each one of us has to be responsible for getting ourselves free. And usually that's by buying something, mindset that gets sold to us as feminism a lot of the time, right? As mm-hmm. positivity a lot of the time. And instead looking at the institutions that are actually in the way of sexual liberation and profiling activists and change makers who are doing something to transform those institutions as a way of inviting the reader in to think about how you can make change as well. That we all we all really can get each other and ourselves collectively sexually free. But there's no sexual liberation one at a time. I love that so much. Yeah. And you make such a good point. I mean, I feel like, especially with like the wave of Instagram, it's like really easy to like feel like, oh, we're not pretty enough. We're not thin enough. We're not like toned enough. We're not, you know, we don't have the right products. We're not, you know, we don't have the right jewelry. There's so many ways that we can be like, try, like people can try to sell things to us and say that you're not good enough, but I really love this idea of taking a step back and being like, wait a minute, what's going on, like, in this broader system here? Yeah, and I just want to be clear, like, it's not anti-fun. Like, I like right. shopping and jewelry and sexy oh, sure. photos who, and all kinds doesn't? of fun things. They're great. Right, but, like, that, but let's not confuse that with actual liberation. Mm. Totally. Oh, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. Is there any kind of, like, last parting words that you want to say to people who are listening about consent? Uh, yeah, it's, it's not just about checking a box. It's about recognizing the humanity in all of your sexual partners. 
And then I also want to mention, if I can, that I also have a podcast called Unscrewed, same name as book. Yes, please, please. I guess, my guess is if you dig this podcast, you would like my podcast too, so come have a listen. Uh, Amazing. And we will definitely put uh, where folks can listen in in the description of this episode. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us, Jacqueline. Thank you. Thanks for the great show. It was a great conversation. Babeland is a feminist-owned and operated sex toy shop that focuses on both pleasure and education. With a diverse catalog of sex toys, kink gear, books, lingerie, massage products, and more, plus free events and workshops at each of their four store locations, Babeland is your one-stop sex-positive shop. You can use code DBBABE, all one word, in stores or online at babeland.com for 15% off one item. Just like we're saying no to toxic relationships in 2019, let's say no to toxic chemicals in our condoms. Lovability condoms are made with 100% natural vegan latex and smooth aloe-infused silicone lubricant with no spermicides, dyes, fragrances, or chemical irritants to be found. And they're delivered right to your door. Check them out at lovabilityinc.com. My name is Daniel Saint. Um, I identify as he, him... Uh, often we <laughs> do a lot of we things. Um, I am the chief conspirator and founder of the New Society for Wellness, also known as NSFW. Um, that is a private members club as well as an agency that works with brands in sex and cannabis. Great. And how did you tell us about how you got into that? <sighs> um, I, I don't know. NSFW has always been something I wanted to create. I, I started off in fashion and was a fashion blogger for a long time, then became chief marketing officer of a big brand and then took over digital for Nylon Magazine and started my own agency. So I kind of was always in this world of you know luxury, fashion, and beauty and working with influencers, basically trying to convince people to buy stuff that didn't really make them happy, uh-huh. <laughs> but kind of sold the illusion of happiness. And I think I just kind of got really tired of that and kind of jaded by the whole industry and wanted to sell something that made people happy. Um, and sex and cannabis made the most sense uh, for me, because those are the two things that made me happiest. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to create NSFW as a way to kind of merge some of the things I was good at, marketing, promoting, and, and kind of building brands with a sex and cannabis brand. Um, we started off with events to educate people, um, and it was really focused around you know relationships. It was focused around consent. It was focused around you know, BDSM and Tantra and all these fun little, you know, excursions or experiences or adventures in sex. Um, and from that, it grew uh, from, you know, a couple of friends in my apartment to now 1,800 members. Wow. Um, Congrats. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's grown phenomenally and it continues to grow every day, sometimes up to like 50 people applying to be a part of it. Wow. Um, and yeah, it's been an amazing experience. We've hosted now over you know 320 events, all focused on you know sex and sex positivity, and just you know teaching people how to be better at it. That's really amazing. That's very cool. Um, so yeah, being someone who a co-conspirator is that, is that what you <laughs> chief said? Conspirator. A chief conspirator. I'm so sorry. There's a good amount um, conspiring. Yeah, what we do. I really love that. Um, so being someone who's kind of like planning these events, I imagine there are like a lot of people, a lot of different ideas as to what you know, consent means to everybody in their own experiences. Um, so what does it mean to you and what does it look like? And also how do you kind of teach that in your kind of workshops and, and, um, meetings? What are they called? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
One of the events that we do that is very popular is an event called Send Noobs. Um, it's all focused on new people uh, and kind of introducing them to the world of NSFW. And a big part of that is understanding how to ask for sex. Um, when we talk about consent to NSFW, it's always enthusiastic consent. Um, so we tend to practice that and encourage that most. Um, that's basically asking for a verbal confirmation from someone before you engage in any sort of touch, even if it's a, a hug. You know, it's really about getting an okay from someone beforehand and saying like, is it okay for me to engage with you? And mm -hmm. obviously it doesn't sound like that. It can be done in a very sexy way. Right. It often you is done. You don't have to be robotic. <laughs> can I touch you? May I touch you now? <laughs> yeah, it's not robotic, but it's very conversational. And I think what um, a lot of members gain from being a part of NSFW is understanding that sex is a conversation. The things that you want to engage in require conversations. Right. And whether it's just, I want to have more sexual partners or I want to have you know, a crazy gangbang orgy type thing. Like, it's really about how you communicate that, whether or not you're going to get those things that you want to get and those things you want to enjoy and those things you want to experience. So the conversation around consent is very much around being comfortable talking about sex um, and being respectful of the other individual, being respectful of their space, their autonomy, and understanding that you need to be invited in. Yeah. Um, if you're going to engage in anything like that. Yeah. So what could, I'm sure all the events like really vary depending on what's happening in them, but give me like an example of, of an event and what happens from like point A when people get there to point Z when they leave. Yeah. So we do workshops, which are usually focused around a specific subject. Um, we do learn the ropes, which is all about ropes and shibari hanging. Um, shibari. Uh, we do the cunning linguist, which is all about cunning linguists and understanding how to be better at, you know, enjoying pussy. You love puns, <laughs> don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Bisexuals love puns. <laughs> entire company is literally made up of puns. I love it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, all the classes are different. So if it's an instructional or like a workshop, there's usually an instructor. Um, those classes tend to be around 40, uh, up to 40 people. Um, you kind of work with a partner or you work with someone new who you've met there and we kind of connect people to help with that and you go through the instructional and you learn it uh, and sometimes it leads to play, sometimes it doesn't, but that's kind of like one type of event. Um, then are, there are bigger parties. Uh, we do kink lab, play date, and sacred pleasures. Kink lab is more BDSM focused and more on fetishes. Play date is more of a general like play party type scene. Uh, where there's performances and things that you can watch. Uh, and then King Club, I mean, uh, Sacred Pleasures is more Tantra touch massage. Um, so more focused around, you know, interaction and touch. Mm -hmm. um, and each of those events run kind of like um, going to a club in a sense. Like there's, you know, an area where you can lounge and chill and meet people. There's play areas. There's like lots of divided spaces. Um, and the membership comes together. There's usually like an icebreaker or something to make things more comfortable for people. But really it kind of becomes a lot of people who know each other kind of going over time, um, especially with our membership. There's a lot of repeat people who come regularly and who are very active within the membership. Yeah. Um, so when you go there, you're pretty much surrounded with a group of people that makes you feel safe, um, which tends to be great for new people. It's, you know, for a lot of people who experience it the first time, tends to be one of those like, where has this been all my life type reactions? Yeah. <laughs> and how do I, how do I make sure this is everywhere type of reaction, which yeah. is really, really encouraging. But um, yeah, it's uh, a safe, judgment-free space to explore and, and we create opportunities for people to do that, um, whether it's through instructions, whether it's through demonstrations or performances. I love that. That's really cool. And I'm sure so many people form such a tight knit community. And especially if you like want to bring a friend and they can kind of join in on that. I'm sure that feels really good to like be able to be surrounded by people who are so loving, so caring, so welcoming. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very unique experience. Um, 
it's it's very hard to describe. It's like it feels it feels like home in mm-hmm. a lot of ways for some people and you know, creating those types of environments has always been the goal. So it's been really nice to see people feel that and, yeah. and kind of experience it that way. That's awesome. Um, so what can we learn from the kink and sex positive communities about consent and also like from the queer community? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, me, you know, growing up bisexual, going and experiencing things in the gay community as well as straight community and kind of, you know, just being curious about sex positive spaces in general for a very long time and, you know, going over the past 20 years to things, <laughs> um, I kind of, you know, uh, had a feeling that within the queer community, especially male queer community, consent isn't really a conversation that's happening often. Um, you know, there's a lot of places where you would go and, you know, being curious or being interested, like you suddenly feel unsafe, you know, and a lot of, you know, young gay males um, have to deal with that, that constant assault and that constant um, attacks that come from possibly older gays or, or people who are a little bit less likely to use consent. And, you know, it's kind of an expected experiences within those spaces. Um, also within those spaces, there was kind of that experience of, you know, everyone can have sex. And there was that freedom of, you know, enjoying sex within these spaces. And I just found like, it was unfair that that was not available to women um, because so much of it was not focused on consent. Because so much of it is kind of like a free for all. And, you know, what would happen to a man that happens in these spaces? Like if it happened to a woman, it would be, completely, you know, very, very scary situations. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these spaces didn't allow women to express themselves sexually. Um, it didn't really seem like there was places where couples could express themselves sexually and feel safe, um, which is why so much of NSFW came about, just seeing the differences. Um, in terms of consent within the kink community, I think that's where I found the most consent used, because there is a lot of conversations you have to have with people beforehand. If you are a dom or if you are practicing in specific fetishes, there's a lot of communication that's required before you get to those spaces and before you get to that place of exploring that fetish. So mm-hmm. I always found that within the kink community, they have the most consent. Yeah, because you know, there's constant check-ins. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of like this whole experience of seeing that as a very positive thing and seeing that as something that could be brought out from those dark corners <laughs> of, of, of sex and, and right. those dark you know dungeons and experiences and bringing that to the light and saying like, here's how this community is experiencing sex and here's how they're doing it in a sane, consensual way. And here are the practices that we need to bring to everything that we do so that, you know, everyone can have that experience and feel safe uh, within the environments we create. But yeah, that took a lot of investigating yeah. <laughs> where you can find like the right mix of like, all right, here's how we do this. Right. Where like everyone will feel safe. Yeah. And it's not just for men. It's not just, you know, for kinky people, it's like forever. Right. Yeah. So are there kind of like teachers or leaders, like kind of walking around and kind of making sure, like, how does that work? Like physically in the space? Yeah. So for every event we have nymphs, they're usually dressed in white. Their whole responsibility is just to watch over the space and make sure everyone's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure no one gets too intoxicated, which rarely happens, but still just watching for it. Um, you know, making sure that there's someone there that people can go to if something happens or an issue arises. Uh, we also have our house rules, which is respect, hydrate, don't be a creeper. Um, I love that. Which are, you know, three simple rules that you can obviously go deeper into, but respect the idea of privacy, the idea of consent and, and respecting the people around you. Um, hydrate the idea of you know, not becoming overly intoxicated, making sure you know that you're sane, that you're, you're aware. Um, and then don't be a creeper, which kind of comes into as play is happening, what is your behavior? Are you 
making sure that the people that you might be paying attention to or watching are okay with you watching them? Are you respecting their space and their, their ability to do what they have to do and, and not being creepy in mm -hmm. a sense? Um, so that helps guide the community. Uh, and then after every event, you have your creepy report that goes out so everyone can report back if anything happened. We then do follow-ups. We then make suggestions as to, well, this person has to be suspended or removed mm. or has to go for additional training on how to actually exist in these environments. And yeah. we'll send them back to something so that they can do it again. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's a lot of, it's a lot of self-policing. Like at this point within the community, like enough people know how we're supposed to behave. So they ensure that everyone behaves that way, which keeps it safe. So in terms of the actual events that are happening, there's obviously some like kink play happening. Um, is there kind of like, like penetrative sex happening? Like what's the kind of range of activities that can be happening at these events? I mean, it's, it's. There's no judgments. Yeah. So <laughs> whatever people kind of want to do, it's what you as long do. as it's consensual. Yeah, exactly. As long as it's consensual, like we are, we're providing a very unique space. Um, and you know, with that is that allowance of like, you can play here, you can experience the space. There are beds, there are places to go and, and do what you want to do. And yeah, for a lot of members, that's like the focus, you know, that's what they're yeah. there for. Whether it's you know something as simple as like I want people to watch us while we're having sex, or I want to watch people having sex, mm -hmm. or I want to find another couple or another person, another group, I want to engage in that way, or I want to you know go into the dungeon space and kind of experience the king stuff, or you know whatever it is you want to do within the space, it kind of is designed for that. So yeah, yeah there's sex. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And lots um, of varied sex, like lots of different types of sex, and just I don't know. I think I've seen at least over a thousand people orgasm, and it's wow. just been so interesting to see how varied it is and how yeah. different people's reactions are and how I think little we understand about orgasms and, and especially like sex in group type settings. Um, cause the energy is different. Like the air is different. The feel of the space is different. Like there's mm -hmm. a real resonating vibration that comes from that type of group activity, which I don't think a lot of people have the opportunity to see, um, on such a regular basis. Yeah. Okay. And so when people kind of like, enter this membership what kinds of like pre activities or training is going on about consent before they even enter the space so beforehand they have to agree to our code of conduct that kind of goes through how we behave with each other and how we behave within the space um it addresses things like you know how to care for the space it's a it is a shared space we all own the clubhouse it's all our place so um that type of thinking around it really helps um there's a lot around uh, enthusiastic consent, respect for, you know, all types of sexual identities and respect for what people want to do there. You know, it's not a heterosexual space at all. Mm -hmm. um, it's very bisexual, <laughs> uh, probably because I made it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like, it's a very, it's, it's just that idea of you're coming into a space that's now existed for four years with a community that's been here for four years. You're coming into a place where you know, people want this to continue to, to grow. So if you're, you know, applying or you're trying to join, we do look a lot at, you know, the questions that we provide. We look at, you know, what are you trying to contribute to the community? Um, what are your sexual fantasies? What are you trying to accomplish through this? Like, mm -hmm. what is... Like a questionnaire. Reason? Yeah, there's a full questionnaire. And also just giving people a lot of options as to how they want to identify. You know, like it's... I think we have, like, now 54 things that people can choose in terms of identify as this and it's it keeps growing because there's so many 
kinks and other things and ways in which people want to describe themselves. So it gives you a lot of ability to, for us to see exactly who's coming in. Um, everyone links to social media profiles, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram. Um, once we have one profile, it's very easy for us to find additional information. Um, when we look through profiles, we're looking for, you know, is this person well-traveled? Um, what does their circle of friends look like? You know, what do they do for a living? Um, are they artists or creatives and what do they create? Um, we look at, you know, the type of jobs they have and what they're doing. Um, and that kind of helps us figure out a level of attraction. You know, um, for us, attraction isn't just, you know, how a person looks, but it's also what are all those factors that make them an attractive mm. person, just like anyone else who would find someone attractive, like really putting that work in. And is that, do you mean level of attraction in terms of like who they could maybe interact with in the space or what do you mean? Well, I mean, one thing we always say is like, if, if you can't, if you don't, can't have a conversation with someone, you really shouldn't sleep with them. <laughs> um, That's a good point. You know, like you want to have some sort of conversation. Um, so that's where we start looking at, like, all right, what do they actually do? You know, what is their life? Is it yeah. some person who's just at home playing video games all day and, like, not really doing anything with their life? Is it someone who, um, you know, is is not very active and not very engaged and therefore they're, you know, looking for a place to feel that way? You know, there's a lot that we, we pay attention to. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the whole point. It's like, again, if, like, you can't talk to someone, like, how are you going to sleep with them? Mm -hmm. And The gamer community is going to be like, fuck you guys, we do things. <laughs> we love the gamer community. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, like, gamers who, like, you know, yeah, stay at home all day. Cool maybe there are other gamers who also want to stay home all day yeah. and they want to fuck each other. So that could be tight. True, true. <laughs> you never know. I mean, I'm sure we have a lot of gamers. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's funny. Uh, okay, cool. So moving on a little bit, do you see like a relationship between stigma around sexuality and our society's problems around consent? Or what do you think about like that pairing? I mean, I think we're, we're going through a big, uh, I don't know, just like a big tumble dry right now. Like mm. of just the settling in of, of what's come about with me too and time's up and, you know, that acceptance of accountability that we really didn't have out there as much. Right. You know, and there wasn't really so much, um, there wasn't a way to be vocal if something happened and, and really get it out there and, and have that ability for it to go viral, for it to get a lot of attention and exactly. for it to become a real news story. Um, and I think that part of it, as well as with, you know, what we're seeing with Trump and what we're seeing with pushbacks on LGBT rights and what we're seeing with, you know, pushbacks on, um, you know, being allowed to kind of do what you want to do without having this religious freedom idea or this morality, um, kind of come in. Um, I think it's just causing more people to want this, you know, like we're, we're seeing it in terms of traffic and people coming to the site. We see it in terms of people applying, like there's an increase, a rapid increase and in the amount of people in other countries who are requesting this or want this or, or want some version of those. And there's that interest. And I think right now we're just fighting like this really terrifying culture war, really. Mm. You know, when I look at, you know, our community, um, it feels like the LGBT community in a lot of ways. You know, being not vanilla is still a very dangerous thing for some people. Right. You know, like, there's always concern with members uh, regarding, like, someone finding out from work. Like, what yeah, happens? Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Like, how, how do people keep it private? Do they want to keep it private? You know? I mean, we, everyone's private in terms of membership. We never reveal any of the members that we have. Um, if we're ever doing press or anything, we always contact members. If they want to talk, they can. Right. Um... But yeah, it's, it is a scary thing. It's like 
so many of us have these morality clauses. Uh, it's hard to define what morality is. Um, you know, is it immoral to go to a place like NSFW and would that be used against you in your career? Mm. Um, we definitely see it happen with adult film stars that we work with. Where right. It's difficult for them to transition. Instagram is having a massive war on anyone who's associated with anything in the sex trade, um, deleting accounts which have no nudity um, and allowing people to basically allowing men to ban people. Um, because what happens is, you know, if enough people on the religious right feel like an adult star shouldn't be on Instagram, they'll report everything that she has going up. Yeah. And all of a sudden Instagram has a thousand reports for a photo of a girl in a turtleneck. Right. You know? And it's, it's so dangerous. It it's, really it's is. Really, it's really riding that line of like, wait a minute, I thought that everyone was obsessed with this like freedom of speech, kind of like freedom, you know, like, but only in certain capacities, like certain people aren't allowed apparently to exercise that right when they're oh, not yeah. even crossing any line. I mean, that's what's so troubling. Like there is, um, there's been protests already and there's been some changes to how Instagram's approaching it. Um, but for the most part, there is, there, there is a, a lack of freedom of speech when it comes to things in sex education. You know, like we've seen um, accounts, um, like Whores of Yore was recently shut down, and all they do is posts of like ancient stuff, like really old yeah. you know, photos and things that are just archival history of like a history of sex type thing, and they're getting shut down. You know, we're seeing a lot of sex educating shut down. I was shut down. You know, NSFW has been shut down, and we never posted any nudity. We were just promoting that we're doing educational classes on right. all these things within the events. And, you know, Instagram doesn't care. You know, Twitter is starting to do the same thing. They just made certain rules where you can't show semen on anything. Um, semen is considered um, violence now uh, on Twitter, and there are new policy changes. So we're starting to see a lot of adult stars who went to Twitter now getting their accounts, like, shut down, and they're freaking out because then you have no other way to converse about sex. And right. the only education you have out there becomes pornography. Mm. And that's a very dangerous trend to push us towards and not allow like people to know that these adult stars are performers. You know, not allowed to see into their lives as in, in a normal way. Mm -hmm. And you continue to stigmatize and, and push these people into the outer parts of our society when they shouldn't be treated that way, when everyone's consuming porn, when porn is on the increase and everyone's enjoying this stuff. So... I think culturally, like we have a massive battle right now. Yeah. Um, and that's a big reason why we started the whole pro-sex thing. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that? What is the pro-sex initiative? Um, so we recently launched I'mProSex.org. Um, pro-sex stands for Protect the Rights of the Sexually Explorative Act. Um, basically, we're looking to introduce the first you know, bill into Congress that would focus on removing these morality clauses or better defining the morality clauses and allowing people to, you know, not have vanilla sexual lives and stop policing people's sex lives. Yeah. Um, which I think is an issue that attacks a lot more people. Cause honestly know? it's no one's fucking business to right. be clear. Like right. everyone should be able as long, of course, you know, this is all about consent. As long as it is consensual and like non coercive and it's pleasurable for people yeah. like, that's what should be important. Well, and, and what's crazy about the whole thing is that we're facing, you know, levels of, you know, really, we're just not reproducing. Like, we're not even, we're not even reproducing, reproducing enough people to replace the people that we have right now. And that's happening globally. You know, there's been a decrease in the amount of people actually having children and engaging in sexual activity. The age of the, you know, average virgin in America is increasing, um, which is scary. You know, having more and more people um, who are not having sex and not engaging in sex, and not having access to, 
know, proper information about it, mm. you know? And at the same time, we're seeing an increase in incel culture. We're seeing an increase in these very angry males who are out there hurting people mm -hmm. um, and, you know, taking that frustration out. So you have a government that is allowing this kind of repression of sex. Right. Complaining about the fact that we're not making enough babies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for, you know, and then rather than, you know, fighting for more access to sex education, they're fighting for, you know, less abortion access. You know, like it's it's a very, very strange time to be in the type of industry that I'm in right now. And very it's, contradictory. It's a very scary time. So pro sex is kind of our first step towards, you know, opening up the conversation a little bit more, providing a bit more support for the grassroots organizations that are doing stuff on the ground. Um, you know, there's a lot of activism around sex workers rights right now. This is a little bit more focused on the everyday person's right. Yeah. You know, this is for everyone. You know, you shouldn't be judged by your browser history. You shouldn't be judged because you have nudes on your phone and they get leaked. You shouldn't you be fearful of getting a job in the future because you did adult content at one point in your life. Like right. these are, these are things that are very discriminatory and very loud. Um, and I think it's time to address that and, and try to use our influence to make some changes in that. Totally. Yeah. And that's I'm prosex.org. Just so everyone hears that twice. Um, one of our last questions is about consent con. Can you talk about this? And um, I've actually never been or so I don't really know much about it and I would love to learn more. Yeah, so we created consent con last year um, really as a way to talk about the different um, areas of consent and, and what was coming about and just best practices within our communities. Um, so we had people who hosted play parties in other communities and, and developed events like that. Um, people from House of Yes who were talking about consent within nightclubs and, and that whole experience. Um, and then we talked about, um, basically through these different panels, consent and men becoming better allies, how to, how to be more supportive of that, and how to spread this message of enthusiastic consent. Um, it was really successful last year. For this next edition, we're combining it with what we're doing with ImproSex because we want to make sure that the conversation about consent is readily available to more people. Um, the previous consent con was only to members, but now with um, everything we're doing on ProSex, it is a wider initiative and open to anyone. Um, so yeah, it's going to be kind of put into that event. Um, but yeah, the idea is just to talk about consent in a way that um, shows people that it's evolving. You know, I think there's a, a lot of evolution in terms of you know, what's okay, what's not okay, and, and what people need to understand about that. Um, I think it's important to address things around implied consent. Um, I think it's important to address how much media is um, pushing that narrative forward and, and where it goes. We want to pay a little bit more attention as to like in teen, um, in teen dramas and teen like stories and yeah. things like that. Like you know, are they bringing up enthusiastic consent? Are they using the words? You know, or are we still going with implied where it's like the pull in? Grab right, the girl, right. You know, like that whole yeah, deal. have you seen any like movies or TV shows as of late that you really like saw a really good consent scene? Um, no, I mean, I think right now, like the big teen drama or the big one is Euphoria, and like yeah. there's like no conversations about consent in that whatsoever. And Bummer. like, very I haven't little. seen it. It's like it's just there's no. It's really, it's really, it's really rapey. <laughs> I think that's that like what they were going for with the story, and it's drama. It's like that's what they're presenting, but yeah. it's not presenting. Yeah, it never presents presents the alternative. Yeah, and I think you know, even for us, for like, if you look at older media, like a lot of times people will go back and be like, "This is why Friends was problematic. This is why mm. this was problematic." And I think there was one that was a fairly recent show. Where like just the beginning seasons are problematic, now it's evolving. Yeah. You know, so there is an evolution happening. 
um, there is kind of like that shift towards it. I would love to see more of it. Yeah. Because that's the only other way people are going to learn. For sure. Um, if, especially if Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all these other larger you know, media distributors are preventing people like us from, from spreading that message and from talking about that. For sure. Yeah. Have you ever seen the incredible Jessica James? It's with Jessica Williams. She's one of the two dope Queens. Ah, okay. Um, and they, she did like a Netflix, um, movie with Chris O'Dowd. He's like the love interest in bridesmaids. Okay. And basically like they're having like a consent sex scene and it's the best consent scene I've ever seen nice. in media. And it's really simple, but like effective where like, She's asking him, like, oh, can I touch you here? Ooh, that feels really good. Does this feel good? And, like, nice. they're just really talking and, like, a very normal, not like, can I touch you here? You know, no, like, robotic things. It's just very, like, real. And I just appreciate that so much and feel like it's such a subtle thing that, like, writers can put into their scenes oh, yeah. that would have such a fucking huge impact on like young people's lives and like really change the way that they view their own relationships. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so necessary. Um, and hopefully it's something that people get out there and, and pay attention to more. Yeah. Um, I think there, there's enough, uh, enough of, of a push and enough within the movement enough within, you know, how society's talking about consent, how they're paying attention to it and how they're addressing a lot of these, you know, sexual offenses that we're seeing in in the public media, um, there's a lot of that. But now it's the next conversation of, okay, how do we now tell the positive stories? Um, how do we now incorporate those positive stories into everyday narratives, everyday shows, everyday movies? And how do we get more people to be aware of that and excited about the fact that it's changing a little bit? You know, we're not seeing the same stuff over and over again because that's just going to reinforce that bad behavior versus encouraging new positive behavior. Are you going back to college or grad school this fall? Or maybe you're just on a student's budget. As a grad student myself, I know I am. What's the one thing that should be on everyone's back to school list? A vibrator, of course. If you want an incredible, high quality new sex toy for under 50 bucks, Sweet Vibrations is the place to go. Sweet Vibrations is an adult boutique that promotes self-care, breaks the sex toy taboo, and encourages open, empowering conversations surrounding vulva sexual health and desires. And the best part? All four of their amazing toys have a lifetime warranty, just in case. Visit sweetvibes.toys to get your new shiny toy. Have you ever felt anxiety about having sex? Or experienced pain during intercourse? Emotions are deeply intertwined with sexual activity, and anxiety, depression, and fear of intimacy can all contribute to painful sex. The good news is, now there is Millie the gentlest vaginal dilator on the market. With a design that puts you in control, Millie can help reduce sex anxiety by breaking the negative cycle of muscle contraction that causes pain. Learn more at www.milliemedical.com. Our creator, producer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, AKA DB. Our assistant producer is Kathy Cohen. Our graphic illustrator is Alana Rance. Our sound engineer is Oliver Devone. Our fundraising co-coordinator is Jamie Cooper. And our other fundraising co-coordinator slash content assistant is Callie Cochran. Our music is by Ben Sound and Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured voices, sponsors, and our listeners. Tune in next time. <laughs>